0: Amen. Thank you, John. If you um, if you didn't get one of these outlines, I'd like for you to raise your hand, I'd like for you to have it. Anybody here did not get what is this? Oh, this one. Anybody here did not get a handout? Everybody got it. All right, good. Let's go to the Apostles' Creed. Um, I would like to make one correction from uh, last week. If you were here, I understand that there was some heresy uh, that Mike brought to the table. He's not even in here to hear all of this. Let's quote the Apostles' Creed and uh, quote it the way it ought to be quoted, Uh, not Pontius. Anybody here uh, for that last week? Did y'all hear it? Did you see it before you quoted it? Were you rejoicing in your heart at the mistake that it made? All right, let's go to the Apostles' Creed. This is how it goes. Feel free to uh, read it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That was almost like being in a Presbyterian Church right then, huh? We will probably won't do that on a Sunday. But this creed does hold things that we believe. These beliefs we have don't come from the creed. They come from the Bible. And what we're hoping to do over the, last, uh, over the next few weeks is just to go through line by line, take a line or two. Uh, Mike and I have been talking. We might speed up the pace, uh, speed up the pace a little bit. Take a line or two and see what does the Bible... Why do we say those things? So far, you've gone, uh, I believe, in God the Father Almighty. Is that right? That's what he did last week? That's what it was supposed to do. This week, uh, we come to the line, the maker or the creator of heaven and earth. Creator of heaven and earth. Why is that important to us? By the way, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Genesis tonight, but we'll be all over the Bible But Genesis 1 is where we'll be a good bit. As Christians, what we believe. As Christians, we believe that everything that does exist right this very moment traces its existence and its reality to the sovereign act of God. We believe that God created everything. That God is the Father and Creator of heaven and earth. The best place to start is in the beginning with the word Genesis. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can just go there. Let's read a little bit of what the Bible says about God creating. You, you might know um, this first couple of verses by heart. When I was a young preacher, when I was at a Clear Branch Baptist Church, and I was going to seminary, uh, driving down to New Orleans every morning, and then driving back every afternoon. And I started studying the languages, and I started studying Hebrew, and actually loved it. It's it's a strange language. You read from right to left. It's uh, hard to read. The letters are not familiar, like Greek. At least the letters look kind of like uh, English letters. But I got to where I was really enjoying Hebrew, and when you're in seminary, the danger is you learn a little bit, and you think you know a lot. It's like going and studying karate, and you get a yellow belt, and you think you can beat anybody up. Get a little bit of seminary, it's not great for you. So, I was at this country church, um, Clear Branch Baptist Church. I was going to preach out of Genesis. I went up in Sunday morning with my Hebrew Bible. Right. That's for effect, by the way, uh, to just show all that I have learned. And started reading uh, Hebrew. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But that's actually all I knew, so I had to quit right there. I couldn't even get to verse 3. So you you might know it by heart. You probably could do it by heart. This is what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, we could cut that down, couldn't we? In the beginning... And we might even could just say, in the beginning... God. If you can take those four words, in the beginning, God. That, that phrase out that of Genesis 1 gives us uh, at least, uh, I think I put four essential truths. Did I say that? Let's, take a, let's, let's look at the outline and make sure I'm giving you what you've got here. Yeah. Turn the page over and there you'll find four essential, uh, essential and central truths about God. What are they? Well, the first one is that God is eternal. We believe that God the Father created heaven and earth, and He is eternal. That is to say, He has no beginning, He has no end, that He existed prior to creation. Creation is not the start of the godness of God. God God existed before creation. In fact, He existed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship. One of the reasons that we desire to have right and good fellowship with each other, we are created for fellowship made in the image of God because the perfect fellowship is between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Presbyterians would say that uh, they are in session together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the essential truths is that God is eternal. These are core beliefs for us because they help us make sense of a world that is really, feels oftentimes, really messed up. God is eternal. Another uh, essential core truth is that God is infinite. God is infinite. We are finite. God is infinite. He is, by, um, he is not bound by the heavens or the earth. That's important for us to get because it takes us understanding the fact that we can't understand God. Uh, for instance, I'll give you a, a, a modern application for the fact that God is infinite, we are finite. This Sunday, I'll preach from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29, and 30. i preach verse 28 uh, this past week. Verse 29 uh, starts with the foreknowledge of God. Speaks about how God knows things, the foreknowledge, so he who he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son Jesus so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then if you go to verse 30, you have the word foreknowledge and then the word predestined and then the word justified and then the word glorified. So what you have there is, I'll talk about it Sunday, this chain and the problem where we, when I bring up the word predestination or foreknowledge, we immediately sit up in our chairs. But because there's a lot of controversy around it. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible teaches God's foreknowledge and his also His predestining love, He also teaches that every person is completely responsible for every decision they ever make. And they do it completely free. Now, for that to be true, God has to be infinitely true. And the problem we run into is our minds are finite. We need categories, and we just don't have them for God. What we learn is the the more we think of the godness of God and the bigness of God is the more we understand we can't put Him in our categories. It can't be, well, if this is true, then this can't be true. The truth of the matter is when it comes to something like what I'm going to talk about Sunday, is they have to both be true. How does that work? Well, God is infinite. He's not bound by the heavens or the earth. He's not bound by our rules. He's not bound by our logic. He's not bound by our thoughts of what is or is not possible. Infinite. That's an important concept to have when we think about God creating the heavens and the earth. A third one is that God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. I'll, I'll show you a couple of things here. Uh, if you have the Bible still open, in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So you can go through and just, just watch how creation happens and the omnipotence of God that he speaks, right? And it happens. And that's going to be important. You, ha- you have to get this right in order to get the gospel right. So, so inerrancy, um, believing that the Bible is inerrant, that it's not doesn't have errors, you have to get Genesis right in order to make sure you can believe what's waiting for us in the New Testament. Because if you discount discount Genesis, if you say, well, no, Darwin had it right. If you discount Genesis, then you have a hard time going and believing what the New Testament says. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipotent. He speaks creation into existence. That's that's important for us when we get to the word called. When I talk in Romans chapter 8, When I talk about the call of God to salvation, it's it's Him speaking. So one of the truths that's important that we see in the Old Testament, we find in Genesis 1, is that God creates what He speaks. That's what happens in the passages. You just read them. Just, Just read all the way through, and you see that God, how did He create it? He just said it. Okay, that's one truth we've got to hold on to. Another one is uh, down in number four, is the fact that God is independent. God is independent. He is not relying on anything in creation. I mean, the truth of that is found in the the first four words of the English Bible, in the beginning, God. Now, I've been sort of dragging through that phrase for a reason. If you get that phrase right, So if you get the phrase right here, in the beginning God, if God becomes the subject, in the beginning God, if you get that right, then everything in life starts to fall in place, even when it feels messed up. Because you've trusted, in the beginning, God. Now, the converse is also true. If we don't get that phrase right, if that phrase is not right, then what happens is we easily fall into idolatry, worshiping something other than God. What I mean is putting someone or something before God okay that's the first line of the creed with the first line of the creed and more importantly with the let's put the creed aside for a moment with the first line of Genesis chapter uh, chapter one it's answering fundamental questions about worldview. you'll see those on the other um, other page fundamental questions of worldview the The fundamental questions you ask when you're uh, establishing your own worldview is the typical questions for writing. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Or how and why. Six fundamental worldview questions. Let's go through them pretty quickly. I have some other Bible passages to share with you. The first question is who. Who. The who of creation is God. Genesis chapter 1 tells us it was God in the beginning. Another good passage to turn to is uh, the book of Job. Book of Job. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn there to the book of Job. Anybody here ever read through the book of Job? Anybody here read about Job's wife? Yeah, You don't want Job's wife. I'm going to take you to the end. Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. This is after everything that Job has been through. So you know the story of Job and Satan came through the earth. And uh, God says, what have you seen when all of the angels came? What have you seen? And Satan brings up Job. And Satan says, does he worship you for nothing? Take everything from him. So the Lord takes everything. And Job still says he believes in the goodness of God. And then Satan says, well, take his... Take his health. Skin. Skin for skin. That's when Job's terrible friends show up. You know, the terrible thing about Job's friends, uh, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Elihu, there's another one. So far, yeah, that's the four, four friends. The terrible thing about his friends is, if you go and read what they said, what they said was true. So what Job's friends said to Job were true Is just how they said it. Look, being right is not comforting all the time. You can speak rightness into somebody's life and it not be received well. Well, Job, uh, after all of that, he's wanting to see God face to face. Let me put him on trial and the Lord answers Job. Here it comes. Verse 1, Job 38. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and this is what he said. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Now, I, I'm going to be nervous if a big man says this to me. If the Lord himself says, dress for action like, you got trouble coming your way. I will question you and make you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with glory? So so we can read on there. I mean, it goes on for a long time. Um, Job learned to believe that God the Father is the maker of heaven and earth. But as Christians, we believe in a triune God. Right, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even the Creed itself is broken up into those sections. And if that's the case, what does the New Testament uh, tell us about creation? And how does Christ play into creation? So if you had to pick a passage to bring to mind, what would it be? Okay, so John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what happens if you jump over to... Oh, look here, you got it right. What happens if you jump over to verse 14 of John chapter 1? And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. So, so John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you keep reading, you, t- you see the creation comes through Jesus, and then there's this picture of Jesus participating in creation. And then you get to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and verse 14 says, that word now came to earth. It's an important verse to get the who. Or or how about uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1? Hebrews is a great book. I need to preach through it sometime. Uh, Maybe I will take a break after Romans. I'm not going to jump into Hebrews after Romans, but maybe down the road. Hebrews chapter 1. This is what Hebrews says. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also also He made the world. Now this is Jesus. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and by him he upholds all things by the word of his power. Right? J- jump down to verse 10 with me. Verse 10. And you, Lord, talking about Jesus, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. So, so we believe that um, even, even in Genesis 126, when it speaks of making man and woman, let us make, have, you have some feeling of the Trinity there? Or, or what about Colossians chapter 1, verse 15? Colossians 1, 15. I, uh, I think Colossians 1 is probably one of the great hymns of Jesus. So when you think about the Trinity, think about Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1, this is what the text says. That he, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. From all creation, for by him, by Jesus, right? So, so think of Jesus. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or, rules or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, just think about that. I mean, just, if you were to meditate on the fact that all things were created through him and for him, that, that's an amazing thought when you think about Jesus, right? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him. Now, this is Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So all things, like that chair that you're sitting in, Phil? I mean, can that be what that means? I read a book um, not too long ago, uh, took some preachers through it. It's called The Whole Christ, The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. Don't read it, you'll hate it. It has some really good things in it, but it, like I had to wade through a whole bunch to get to a couple of pieces there. That, oh, that's really good. It took me hours to find it. But the premise of the book is excellent, and it speaks of... Christ saturating our thoughts. Christ saturating our being. So so often what we do is uh, we compartmentalize. And what Paul is doing here, he's saying to us, don't think, okay, God created and now Jesus came to redeem as if they're too different. The way he's presented it to us here in Colossians 1 is that Christ is before all things, verse 17, and in him all things hold together, and then he brings it to the church. Look, look at the text, verse 18. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Now it comes to the crucifixion. He's the firstborn from the dead. So that in every single thing, every relationship, every day at work, in everything, Christ might be preeminent. He gives us more about the incarnation. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And then you'll notice how he does it. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. So, I did all of that to show you that Genesis 1 runs all the way through the whole Bible. Bible. So that we need to make sure we get Genesis 1 right. The who of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Okay, so that's who. What about what? What is uh, the what? Well, God is the one who created, but what did he create? Well, Genesis chapter 1 says he created the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1 says. That's what the Creed says. God gave us morality. So a couple of things to consider. God has given us morality. It's not, it's not subjective, it is objective. There is a God centered morality to the universe. Right? I mean, you see it in, in us being created in God's image. In fact, go back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. That's where you find man and woman created in the image of God. This is why we owe respect to all people. Let me show it to you. This is what the text says. God said, let us make man, verse 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth. This is why we don't treat people the same way we treat dogs. And over every creeping things, Every creeping thing that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Created in God's image. That means we, we reflect his ability to reason. We, we understand our dependence on him. One of the reasons we worship. Why do we gather together the to worship? To worship, it is an expression of of your dependence on God. But the the negative side of being human is that we consciously, we consciously rebel against God. Genesis chapter 3, you understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3? That's the fall of Adam and Eve, right, into sin, Genesis 3. And then Romans 1, uh, it's been a little while since we've, we've looked at Romans chapter 1. But Romans 1 has something from creation. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, as you think of it, tomorrow morning, I'm leaving to go to Jacksonville, Florida. Me and Mike Powers is going to ride with me, and so is Kyler Smith from North Campus. And uh, there is a pastor's conference there at Jacksonville, First Baptist Church Jacksonville, that starts tomorrow evening, and I'm going to preach at it Friday night. No, not Friday night. I better get this right. Friday morning, I'll be preaching there. So if, if you think of it, Friday morning, preach, uh, pray for me. It's hard to preach to other preachers. It genuinely is difficult. I'd much rather be at church with the people that know me, understand my sense of humor, uh, understand what I'm saying. You know, it's taken 10 years to get here. And you don't have that kind of time when you're preaching to preachers. So pray that it is well received and will be encouraging and helpful to other brothers in the ministry. Okay, Romans chapter, as enough of that commercial. Romans chapter 1. Let me show you something in verse 18 and following. Romans 1 verse 18 says For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for, here comes creation, what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it to them. See that general revelation? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, they've all been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made, so we are without excuse." In fact, it goes further. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and, worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We, we consciously rebel against the creator. The what? God is the one who created. How about the when? We'll go pick up the pace a little bit here. How about the wind. so you get to Genesis chapter 1 and it reads like this God created um, the heavens and the earth he did that in the beginning God created so that first sentence in the beginning God when is the when is creation it's In the beginning God created matter created everything we see he did that in a specific time and then he created space to put the matter in to exist in and then you read about creation You have creation, and then you have the subsequent fall of creation. And that sets up a promise for which Christ would come in the fullness of time. So so God created time. He did that that, so that he could set up the promise of the coming of Christ. In fact, uh, I preached it, I think I preached it, this Christmas, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 goes like this, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that happened in the fullness of time. For there to actually ha- be a fullness of time, God had to create the time. So the when, again, takes us back to God. What about the where? I had a hard time finding uh, Bible verses for the where because it's explicit in the universe. This is, our, this is the universe we live in. This is the space that God has created It's not some counterfactual reality. This is the the universe that we know. And and not only that, he has put people in it uh, and people that he put his grace on to to redeem. Uh, Y'all sang it last week, I think. I know the song, uh, This Is My Father's World. Did y'all sing that last week? John said that you did. Does anybody remember it? John, maybe he don't know what he's talking about. Let me read it to you. Uh, This hymn really comes from a poem. Do you all have this? Did I give you this? you all have this? This is my father's world? Oh, good. Just I have it. All right. Some things I like to keep for myself. This poem, um, this hymn really, was written by a pastor uh, that was born right in the middle of the Civil War. His name is uh, Maltby Davenport Babcock. And he was born in New York. He moved uh, to Maryland. He was a Presbyterian preacher. He became really famous in the time. Sought after. uh, He was at the wealthiest church in Maryland. And then a church in New York came after him. And so he, he did what lots of preachers do. Uh... He said, the God is everywhere, go where the money is. So he went to New York. And he, there in New York, he really became one of the wealthiest uh, pastors in the United States at the time. So much so that going to Israel wasn't very common back then. And he went to Israel, and while he was traveling, uh, wrote, having been close to the Niagara River and there at the falls, this is the, this is the hymn that he wrote. This is my father's world reflecting that, which is unfortunate because um, on the way back from Israel, he had some sort of mental breakdown and ended up killing himself. Yeah, it's kind of a sad ending of the story, but the hymn is good. Let me read it for you. This is what it says. This is my father's world and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought for rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds that carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh let me ne'er forget. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. Here, this, the world we live in, that God in the beginning created and placed you here. There's no out there that you should be at. There is just here in your life. God has given that here to you this moment to honor Him. And so then we go to the next question would be, how? How do we do that? Well, Scripture shows us that God is the agent in creation. And not only that, what is the agent of creation? Go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. How did God create? Anybody want to say? He spoke. Which is important when we think about the New Testament that speaks of Jesus as the Word. Right? You have to tie the two together. So all of the verses, you can see verse 3, and God said, verse 4, and God saw. Verse 5, God called. Verse 6, God said. Over and over again, and God said that it happened. God said, let there be light, and there's light. Why is that important? Because His Word is a person. Some of you told me that in Genesis chapter, I mean, John chapter 1. Remember, in the beginning was the, right? The Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, John 1.14 says that uh, the Word became flesh. So you draw a straight line there. God's spoken word from Genesis 1 took on flesh to redeem us. I just read it to you from uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 60. And, and by the way, this speaks to uh, what I was talking about Sunday. This speaks to us as being called. The church is the ecclesia, that's Greek for called out ones. Uh, there's a reason we're named that. It's in the call is the power of salvation. Because through Jesus, Jesus created all things. All things were created through Him and for Him. And something to keep in mind when we think about how salvation works. It is all of God. Genesis 1 says it is God who speaks. John 1 says Christ is the Word. He is now the incarnate Word. Why? Let's, go, let's keep moving. Go to why. Yes, sir. Maybe. Romans 10.9. Uh, if you confess your mouth and believe in your heart, heart. that's where. That's where salvation, right. I'm saying where creation. And you brought it right to salvation. I received that. Yeah. Good, thank you. Contribute any time you like. All right, let's go to the why. Why, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, why shows us that the, why was, why did God do this? Well, scripture tells us God does all things, right, for his purpose and his glory. Psalm 115, 3, do you have that passage? Our God is in the heavens, and why does he do things? He does whatever he pleases. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 gives you the picture of salvation. Why did he do it? For his own glory. Psalm 19, verse 1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Why does God do the things He does, whether it's in creation or salvation, He does that for His own glory. Why does God allow, I'll use that word, why does God allow you to end up in the situations you are in that are painful? He does that, for his own glory. It's not just good things, enjoyable things, that are going to bring God glory. It is how you're going to walk through the painful things. I'd like to give you five, five application points on the end. Is it hot in here to any of y'all? Did you tell me to take my coat off? Thank you. All right, five application points. Psalm 19 tells us creation is telling us something. The reason I've stayed on this so long is that creation is telling us something. You know what Psalm 19 says? That the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech. Night to night reminds us of something. Two things. His sovereignty, our dependence two fundamental things we've got to get right is you're never going to think God is bigger than what He is. Don't ever be afraid to think about the bigness of God. He's in the heavens and He does what He pleases. I, I want our people, I, I want to develop a big God theology. And when I do that sometimes, it runs over categories that I previously had. But I'm much more concerned with, with, with attributing God's power that I am with making sure I am saying the right thing about my choices. So, So that's God's sovereignty, higher and higher and higher. And then underneath that is my own dependency. The more I see myself as dependent on God, the more I'm going to come to Him. The more sanctified I will become, the more like Christ I'll be. The more Christian I'll become, the more I'll walk with the Lord. So, two things that have to work together God's sovereignty, my dependence. Creation is telling us that. That's what creation is telling us. Something else. Creation reminds us of what is important. What's important? So, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, if you're going to memorize a passage, this is the one to, pat, to memorize. In the beginning, God. Creation tells us what's important. So often, there's so much of us that centers on us. We go to the Bible to find out things about us. We, we want to go to a church to have something that's going to help us. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible keeps turning our attention away from us onto God. The Bible starts with God, and the theme is, God is the subject of the entire Bible. You used to hear people say, well, here's the... Here's the handbook for life. That was sort of the FCA coach's Bible. Here's the handbook for life, uh, that the Bible is the rule book. This is going to the instruction manual. And the truth of the matter is, it's not really any of those. It's more of an autobiography about God. That God is the subject, not us. But the Bible is about God. Why do we all need to know the Bible? Because the Bible is God speaking to us. The Bible tells us about God. We don't need to know that much more about us. That's why I think it's right for us to, that's why I try to start my day with God. That I, I actually get to hear His voice from the Bible. God. And then I have His ear through prayer. That's why I think it's wise for any Christian. I mean, here we live in a time, you know, we have all this talk about how terrible a time it is we live in. The truth of the matter is we live in a time that we have God's Word in multiple different translations of English. Right? You, you you probably have more Bibles at your house. I mean, one, two, three. I must have ten Bibles in my house. And there is God speaking through His Word. I would say start start the day with God and remind you that, that God gave you this day for His glory. Remind you that we live under the umbrella of His grace. In the beginning, God should be the coat of arms for every Christian. It, it ought to be what If you are prone to get a tattoo, get a tattoo that says, in the beginning, God. I'm not telling you to get a tattoo. It ought to be the coat of arms for every Christian. This is is the definition of who we are. This is where we've centered ourselves, in the beginning, God. Maybe a third application. Creation reminds us that there are some things that only God can do. Uh, this, is, this, should, this should resonate with you if you've been through trauma, uh, if you have adult children that are wayward, if uh, you are praying for someone that you want to be saved and yet it hasn't happened. What creation does, it centers us and reminds us there are some things that only God can do. That The word in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created, the Hebrew word is B-A-R-A, if you were to put it in English, it's bara, it's, on, it's only used about God. That, that verb is always and only put up against God. Nobody else creates, only God. And that brings us to, so take draw a straight line from Genesis over to John, and God's work in creation points us to His work in conversion. So think creation and recreation. And only God can do that. And and we know that inherently. I mean, think about it when you talk about your salvation. Who is it that, that you thank for you being saved? You thank God. The reason you do that naturally is because you realize, well, only God can do this. Anytime you see, anytime you see pictures of it coming out through the Bible, I was going to preach on Ezekiel 33 is the Watchman on the wall. Ezekiel 34 is the shepherds. Ezekiel 37, though, I, I, this is a passage I love. It's the Valley of the Dry Bones, and Ezekiel's told to go and stand and preach. And as he preaches, bones are coming together. There are a bunch of dead people laying there. They're orderly. They look right. They got their doctrine straight, but they need something. They need God. They need the Spirit of God to show them. Jesus, John chapter 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, he comes by night. Remember what Jesus told him about being born again? But he also told him, you've got to be born of the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those two things, heaven and earth, that's a colloquialism that says everything. That only God can do everything. Try to get a grasp on that. And my second church, Thompson Baptist Church, uh, from time to time they would roast an entire pig, which I've seen it done some, but never up close. And so in the course of the conversation, I stand out with the men in the church out there by uh, the giant center block barbecue and ask, because I hear them say, Preacher, we, they've told me we eat everything on the pig. And I asked him, now, when you say everything, do you mean everything? Earl Gay Edwards told me, "Uh, preacher, let me say it like this. We eat everything but the hair and the oink. (laughs) That's everything. When you see the words heaven and earth, that is the grand scope. That is Moses' way of saying God created everything. It's a good reminder that there's some things that only God can do. Here's a fourth practical thought. Creation reminds us of the compassion of God. The compassion of God. You don't n- naturally think about that, but you'll find it there in verse 2. Uh, let me show you where I get it. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. It was void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the face of the water. That word hovering, it would be worth to go and study it. You don't see it very much in the Bible. It's, in fact, it's used only one other time. And it's used, Moses uses that word in Deuteronomy 32 to describe a mother eagle spreading her wings over children. Hover. It's a word of warmth and watching. Creation reminds us of God's compassion for what He has created. I'll give you one last thing and it'll be time to go. Creation tells us that with God, things are never as bad as they seem. Things are never as bad as they feel like they are. And once again, I'll take you to Genesis 1, um, that the earth, verse 2 says, that the earth was without form and it was Void. In Hebrew, that uh, it's a memorable phrase, "Tohu Vabohu." I tried "Tohu Vabohu." I tried that on the people at Clear Branch Baptist Church. "Tohu" it means it means form, formless, and void, nothing and nothing, wilderness, barrenness. That word uh, right there, um, without form, void. Vast desert emptiness. So if you take that word and bring it forward into the Bible, in Exodus it means a place of wandering. In Leviticus, uh, it's where the scapegoat goes. It's the place of sin where the scapegoat is, the place of demons. In the New Testament, that word in the New Testament, that's where Jesus went. Remember when he went to the desert to be tempted? Where he was tempted by Satan and the angels came and ministered to him. There's another word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It's the word darkness. Look look at that word darkness. But in darkness, look, there's hope. Let me tell you why. Deuteronomy chapter 4 tells us, Moses says God dwelt in the darkness and the clouds and the thick gloom. Deuteronomy chapter 5 tells us that God actually spoke in darkness. Darkness. Psalm 18, the psalmist says in Psalm 18 that God descends in a canopy of darkness. That darkness, not always, but darkness sometimes gives us the presence of of God. Sometimes that's where God shows himself the most, in darkness. Draw, Draw a straight line. Now, if you love the Bible, you know this. Draw a straight line from there to the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Go to the end of the Gospels. There is Jesus on the cross beside the thief. He has just told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And go read the synoptic Gospels. And the text there says that darkness. For three hours, darkness. And in that darkness, Jesus utters the words, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus' darkest hour became our greatest blessing. Believe in God the Father Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for the goodness and grace you show us in creation. We thank you that you center us and you bring the beauty of Christ to our hearts. And Lord, may it be that some of the darkest times be the times when you speak to us through your word. And may we cling to the word that is Christ. Father, I pray you wake me up in enough time tomorrow to spend adequate time with you in the word. Protect us as we travel. Lord, speak to your servants through your word. When I preach Friday, bring us back together Sunday to gather around to hear what does the Bible say. God, we thank you that you speak to us, and we ask you to hold us close. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Good night.